everyone and welcome to uh, the Scotch Way podcast and this is the second of our best of 2017 podcasts. Hopefully you've already heard us um, talking about the best films of the year and this time we're going to talk music and I am joined once more by Chris Ward. Hello, Hello. Chris. And also by Wesley Shearer. Hello again. And um, looking after us is our sound guru Ian Gregson. Hey. Um, a year, the year in music, we're going to start talking about the Scottish stuff that we covered on um, Scots We Hey and then we'll, we'll maybe look at some other stuff as well. But there were certain albums that stuck out for me. Sometimes a year, it's more song orientated or there's great singles come out or whatever, but there were some uh, fantastic albums that came out this year. I'm going to start um, with Campfires in Winter and Ischemia. Oh. And I, there are people will think I'm doing this just to be nice, <laughs> but uh, because um, Wesley is involved with Campfires in Winter. But it came out at the beginning of the year, I think right at the beginning of the year. Yeah, February, yeah. And um, it's just a, a terrific record. It's, um, oh gosh, how do you describe it? Um, it's a kind of melodic... Um, well, how, would, how do you describe it, Wesley? Well, I'm trying to think about the right words for it. Um, I, I can't. <laughs> I simply can't. I, I think, I think the sound of, of Campfires and Winter has evolved um, immensely over the years, and it's always a, it's always been a question that I've kind of struggled to describe. I mean, the the way the band jokingly described their sound that they lifted off of a review from a while ago was um, uh, post post-pop basically yeah so it's got the element of kind of all your traditional post-punk kind of kind of feel to it it's got a little bit of crowd rock in there it's got a little bit of um kind of chorus and kind of orchestral feel to it um it's very loud it's very kind of um meandering but in a in a very focused direction um it's i mean i love it I'm, i like to say that aren't I? yeah of course you like to say it. i'm surprised if you didn't it's, um, it's yeah, I'm. I'm really, really proud of what they've managed to create, and it's been a long, long time coming. Well, I, I'd say for me, it was one of these records that I listened to the first time. I thought, yeah, I like this, but then I kept going back to it. I kept putting it on. I kept putting it on. And I just it really grew on me. The songs really grew. The sound really grew. It became not just a collection of songs, but worked really as a whole. You know, they really work um, from track to track. Uh, some great tracks on it. I, Favourite is Greeted by the Storm, which I just think is an amazing record. And also, and you might be able to tell us a bit with this, amazing video to go with it. Yeah, I mean, so Greeted by the Storm is a song that uh, the guys had actually put together 2013 now, I think it was. Oh, God, that's that's a while ago. Four years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. And um, it was a song that they'd got, they were commissioned by a Dutch uh, museum, the Groning... Groningen Museum in Groningen mm-hmm. and they basically commissioned 20 artists or so 15 to 20 artists from around the world that they just got in touch with that they I mean I don't know how they discovered Campfire's music which would be an interesting question to yeah. ask them but they, um, they picked Campfire's as one of the one of the 20 and basically the idea was that they sent each of these artists an uh, image sorry an image a painting an old painting from the 19th century um, that was a uh, part of a bigger art collector's collection. I can't remember the name of the art collector, but um, they were basically putting these his collection on display and they wanted this sort of kind of sound and vision 
audio kind of visual experience to accompany the exhibit. So they got each artist to pick a piece of piece of art and write a song to accompany it. So that song was actually born out of this project. Mm-hmm. And it was released as a free download in twenty thirteen. Um, and it was part of this CD and part of the museum and all that kind of stuff um, but they basically reworked it reimagined it added the, the kind of beautiful sort of kind of electronic sort of sort of sound at the start of it the kind of repetitive beat that goes through the whole song and really really lifts it to a different place and it was fantastic and the video itself is um, we've been really really lucky we managed to work with a Edinburgh director called um, Stuart Edwards mm-hmm. who is phenomenal and all of the guys are in the band and myself are really into film and really into a certain style and a certain style of video and we've always been really keen to not include the guys in the video yeah so that's a challenge in, in and of itself and we've done different videos in um in the past few years and um, we've done sort of a kind of story like video with daniel and in it which mm-hmm. we kind of locked it's out on video. Well, actually totally yeah. locked out on that the director just happened to be her neighbor <laughs> um and we've done a few other ones and um, that kind of fit the kind of the vibe of the music if you like but we basically just sat down with Stuart and he was really keen to work with us and um, we decided and he was completely on board with doing three videos for us and um, yeah we did Greeted by, Greeted by the Storm mm-hmm. was the, the first video if I remember correctly and the second video was I'm going to get absolutely slated for this because I can't remember what it was Free Me From The Hill yes Free Me From The Hill Free Me From The Hill was the first one sorry yeah. and Greeted by the Storm was the second video and then um, they, they kind of I, I like the idea of tying the three videos together the third is still to come but they're both so different yeah. but they're both so oh, they're, so like it's their own identity and they're clearly done by Stuart who's put his entire stamp on the video yeah. you give him free reign completely yeah. to just do what he wanted to do there's a feel of kind of Anton Corbin in the style Definitely, of them yeah. and uh, I really should go and check them out they're fantastic but I mean, they, they match with the music and I think what I was stumbling to say about the music itself is that it feels lovelorn and there's kind of, you know, songs for the broken-hearted. That's what I felt about when I was listening to it. There's a real sense of melancholy um, right through it, which um, is actually still uplifting, if that makes sense at all. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great collection of songs. And yeah. I think, for some reason, maybe it came out at the start of the year and that's always a difficult time to release things, but... It seems to have been lost. I mean, like we were talking about film last time, um, all that time ago. I, sometimes the things that you see at the beginning of the year, you know, they've got to be really special for you to be remember them now. And for me, you know, it was kind of one of the first uh, names I put down when I was putting my list together. Um, other albums which came out this year, which I really liked, was the Forever by the BMX Bandits, who just continue, you know, to make phenomenal pop records and um, there's no surprise there I don't think if you like the BMX Bandits you would have loved them forever um, Siobhan Wilson's album um, There Are No Saints was one that really struck me and I saw her play I've seen her play a couple of times actually but I saw her play at the Glad Cafe and um, I don't know if you're talking about songs about heartbreak maybe there's a theme in the music I've been listening to this year but um, they're, they're great songs that would just break your heart. Um, very much sometimes with a feel of early to mid nineties American music, like throwing muses, Liz Fair, that sort of feel about you know, kind of pared down production, some scuzzy guitars, heartbreaking voice, really low production, 
Um, really check out Siobhan Wilson's um, There Are No Saints if you haven't. And I believe she's trying to crowdfund uh, her next album. So um, support. maybe we'll talk later about how difficult it is increasingly to, and the different ways of getting music um, out there. A, most, I think most good Scottish music this year came from small labels, because it kind of has been increasingly over um, the past few years. Again, releases from last night from Glasgow, Song by Toad, um, Olive Grove Records, Holy Smokes Records, because some really good stuff uh, with Harry and the Hendersons and the Strange Blue Dreams. Um, and a, a, a media uh, in Edinburgh all released some great music this year um, including Sister John's Return from the Sea uh, Annie Booth's An Unforgiven Light who I saw play live as well um, an album called A Sleep in the Catskills by the Great Albatross you got that, Wesley's point he's smiling <laughs> so I, this was a record, I didn't know anything about the Great Albatross and um a listened to one track on it that came my way and then just immediately out and got the record and just went this is astonishing for a collection of songs that works as a whole it felt like it was made by a musician that had been going for a long long time a really mature collection of songs um, what do you like about yeah, it? yeah it's exactly what you just said extremely sort of accomplished record it's a sort of beautiful blend of American they folk with the kind of your familiar kind of sounds of the Scottish indie pop scene that we're so famed for, and that makes sense since it was recorded between California and Glasgow, I think. Um, but it's yeah, got a real Californian it feel really to does. it. Yeah. It's such a warm album. The warmth that oozes off that album is astonishing. I mean, it just draws you right in from the beginning and it just kind of holds you right until the very last note of that album, and um, it's so, so accomplished. And um, we've had, I've had the pleasure of having him on a, on a bill um, with. Uh, you know, I can't even remember now if it was if it was with Mike or if it was with Catfires, but we had them playing at the the um, Hugging Pine, and they were absolutely fantastic. It was it was Michael that we played with actually, and um, saw them again at St Luke's, and again just blew me away. And I've managed to miss brilliant. them every time they've played. Is it what kind of setup is it? Because it sounds like a full band on the record. It is, yeah, full yeah. band setup. Um, I think it's kind of. I might be entirely wrong here, but I think it might be sort of interchangeable at times. I think there's a lot of kind of touring session musicians that kind of are kind of playing a lot of different bands in, in Glasgow. But um, yeah, really, really, really great. And on the the brand new kind of fledgling label that was LP Records. That's right, um, yeah. And I mean, Lorenzo knows his music and knows what what's uh, what's worth kind of getting behind in terms of a kind of up and coming artist. I mean, I, I think. I think the the main guy's been kicking about for a few years now. I feel like he'd done some soul stuff, maybe. Um, I think the, the the album title comes from a song that he'd recorded a few years ago before he fully got the project together. Yeah, the songs have been kicking about for a while. You're yeah. talking like a good three or four years, I yeah. think. Some of these songs, <coughs> and this is just them finally being collected put, and in, put yeah, like produced an together for him now. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant album. Really great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like a really kind of auspicious start for, for LP as a record label. We were talking last year about like how much of an impact the shop had made in its first year in business. And now, yeah, this was the year that saw, saw Lorenzo launch, launch a label out of the shop as well and try and, you know, take it a little bit further and kind of making something a scene around it. And off to a really good start, not just with the, the Great Albatross album, but with a couple of EPs from uh, American Clay and uh, mm -hmm. Coldest as well, who uh, which were both really strong. Uh, the American Clay one in particular, I loved Skyhooks. Just great, kind of like 90s shoegazy 
style American indie, kind of, you know, your pavements, your weezers, all that kind of... What I really liked about the releases and what they did was they didn't try and overdo it. They think we're going to get stuff which is really good and every release was, was quality. And I think, again... Often small labels can try and, and do too much too soon and say, well, we have to get lots of stuff out there and, and you know, it, it can ruin a reputation very easily by doing that. Um, and I think you're right, Chris, the, the stuff that LP Records put out was fantastic and, and made you look forward to whatever they're going out next. Yeah. Because what I think all the labels that we mentioned here do is you look at what they put out and you think, right, I trust them, they're trust That's names. exactly what we were going to say. I think we touched on it last year, didn't we? It's about, if we didn't, then we've discussed it before, but it's about building that trust in, in, a, in a small independent label and if they know what they want to put out and you trust exactly what they're putting out, then you're going to buy into it no matter what. And that's like a great start for, for LP. I think what you said about the Sleep in the Catskills album as well, it really is a mix of a kind of Scottish indie sensibility, whatever that is, but taking it to almost 1970s hate Asbury, you know, and, and putting it there. It's, uh, yeah, it's a terrific record. Um, have you got any, any Scottish music that you wanted to, to um, mention? That was the main one I, was, I wanted to mention. Um, I, I was kind of taken by the Outlines album, um, which, was, which was great as well. I mean, unfortunately, missed them. I was kind of familiar with the project. I was working on a, a dissertation there couple of years ago which I wouldn't bore you with um, but about um, sort of uh, kind of community arts and creative mm-hmm. the creative arts and cultural arts and kind of underprivileged communities and one of them was obviously Platform and Easter House and yeah. I was speaking to Catherine Joseph about it and interviewed about interviewed her about it just around about the time her and James were working on on this project together mm-hmm. and that culminated in their yearly festival which I've forgotten the name of but something like Outlines Festival actually but um they performed it at that, that festival in at Platform and Easter House um, for the, the community that they basically wrote the songs about. So the idea is, I think Adam Hubbard did it a couple of years ago as well, that they get together with the the kind of people that go to Platform and the wider community in Easter House and they listen to their experiences and mm-hmm. they write songs based on the conversations I've had with these people, which can sound a little bit disingenuous, but it's not. It's um, something that they're totally direct and they totally get involved with and um, is a really positive positive thing in, in my opinion and the songs that came out of it um, were really great so I didn't really expect it to be turned into a full project and a full album and it was great I went I went on to see it at, um, at Auditorium I don't know if you went as well Chris no so, I think it clashed with something else well, yeah I, I went to see Japanese night. Breakfast ja- I was at Japanese yeah. Breakfast so, so I did know. both that night yeah. oh, that's right because we had the same night the same day, yeah. <laughs> Hanoi Bike Shop and then, yeah. to, and then a gig or two um, so I went on to see the first three or four songs of that and it was it was fantastic and unfortunately missed the ABBA cover which I was really disappointed about but um, and then went on to see Japanese Breakfast but I really liked that album and uh, Phantom Mama's album yeah. um, and that's yeah. taken taken quite a while to get to where it is mm-hmm. but entirely off the way and the production on it is like just this kind of shimmering production throughout it it's, uh, it's fantastic and then Sacred Pause as well I really enjoyed that album too I think Chris will probably elaborate more than that. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. Like it's one that like I really enjoyed it when it first came out. Again, like knew it was kind of a while coming, um, and really enjoyed it when it came out. Did not expect it to win the say. <laughs> yeah, we always talk about which the say, so we should say something about. Yeah, which I'm glad. I'm glad, it, I'm glad it did, but it just it feels like it almost feels like it's too fun for awards. Do you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> not, like, it, it doesn't feel like it's got this kind of buoyancy to it and this kind of lightness of touch. That uh, you don't usually associate with, um, with you know, 
Music prizes. Music prizes, yeah. Um, I, like, I was, I don't want to say convinced, but like, I, I, I thought Ella Orleans was yeah. going to take it this year. I thought it was going to be her year. You um, uh, famously usually pick the winner, don't you? Yeah. So there was that um, what so you were saying? You thought Ella Orleans. Well, to be fair, Sacred Paws were my second choice, but like, that's so, uh, this streak isn't entirely, <laughs> isn't entirely broken. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, uh, I really like the Sacred Paws album a lot. It's, um, uh, yeah, just for a duo, like you can hear that it's one of those albums where you can really hear that they're friends. You know what I mean? With with I want to be too pat about it, like the kind of the the love and affection that they have for each other really shines through, and kind of like just the way that they, they play off each other on the record, just in the kind of the the kind of lyrics and and the way they're delivered, and just yeah, their interplay and just everything about it. It's it's a really Again, without wanting to sound completely reduction, uh, like reductionist or like power, where it's a very charming record, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad that it got whatever additional exposure it got from the from the sea. And they're gonna be taking it to the hydro uh, later this month because they're yeah, opening yeah. opening for Mogwai. Uh, Fantastic. So on a bill with Mogwai and Raid uh, at the hydro. Yeah, plugs are ready. I'm looking forward to that. A lot being Yeah. I was a a a which I'm delighted to do every year, you know, from the long list, pick your five. Is it five? I think to kind of go on, none for five this year. Yeah. Didn't get any of the albums that I thought should have been on the top. Oh, really? Yeah, but that's, you know, I'm not return. Uh, but there was some good, there was some good good uh, records there. I actually thought um, Aram Hubbard was telling the trees. Uh, oh, of course, yeah. I mean, it goes without saying that Aram Hubbard brings out a record that's going to be excellent. Yeah. And it has been every, every time he's done so, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Ella Orleans record um, was that one that you particularly enjoyed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it a lot. I think it's it's a pretty challenging listen. Like I think it's kind of an elaboration on uh, her last album, which I think we talked about was it last year we talked yeah. about it, or the year before we talked about Upper Hill, um, which was a fairly concise by the standards of what it would go on to be, like single disc, like forty minutes or so. Um, a little bit poppy in places you'd say but um, she finally got the funding to expand it into her kind of full vision for it which is Circles of Upper and Lower Hell and it shares some elements with um, the previous album but it's become this big sprawling like double album influenced by like Dante's Inferno um, mm-hmm. and I saw it launched at a stereo I think about uh, just over a year ago um, it was really intense. She just played the full album straight through, so it was about an hour and a quarter, hour and twenty minutes with, you know, silent film projections of like you know, old you know, early twentieth century depictions of hell and stuff like that, and demons and all this. So it was a pretty intense night. But uh, yeah, very good album. But that was a twenty sixteen release. I feel like I might possibly talked about it last year. But yeah, had 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 um, had a sense that this might be the year that she she finally got the wider recognition that they say would would grant her. But um, yeah, she she has a uh, devoted fans. So sure she has not, definitely got devoted fans. Yeah, she's not, not any worse for for not getting the for not taking the top prize. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit, uh, get my folk on here okay. because um, there was three records which I think you could kind of loosely call folk, which came out to them quite recently. But um, you had state broadcasters, different past, who are just fantastic. And if you get the chance to see them live, um, they're terrific. Um, also. Finley Napier's album Glasgow, um, which is more, I mean, he's known for, for folk music, but this has got a bit more pop sensibility to it, if that's the right word. He covers A Walk Across the Rooftops on it, which is an incredibly brave thing to do, but uh, I think he just about gets away with that. And he also covers um, 
a cod liver oil and the orange juice oh, yes. as well and he really does that it's brilliant. Excellent, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a love letter to Glasgow it's his love letter to Glasgow there's songs about the goths and the necropolis there's uh, songs about the wire, wire burners there's songs about the Carno, even about the Blue Lagoon um, a, yeah and it it's not a concept album, I don't think. It's just someone who wanted to write about the city that they, they really love and I really love. So um, it was kind of uh, obviously going to do well in my eyes. We should we specify that the Blue Lagoon is a chip shop for a European listener? We should. For, <laughs> for your, for as the, famously visited by Justin Bieber, yes. as, as the posters proudly proclaim. Yes, the, the Blue Lagoon <laughs> is a chain of um, very fine fish and chip shops uh, found under bridges and things in Glasgow. <laughs> Uh, another one uh, which I've been listening to loads uh, since it came out is Blue Rose Codes, The Water of Leaf. Uh, and uh, I've been listening to a lot of Blue Rose Code stuff for years and years. This is a big record um, in the, that he's got um, a Maggie McInnes, he's got a oh, yeah, Karim Power on it, um, various other people that have played on it. It's... It's... If... if Friendly Neighbours album is a love letter to Glasgow. This feels like a love letter to Scotland. Um, a, it's just a beautiful record and one I can listen to over and over again. Very well produced, very highly produced. Um, but um, yeah, really is a record I, I highly, highly recommend. Um, any records that came out, Scottish records, that you want to mentioned before we move on uh, yeah I really like the it's a fairly recent release so I'm um, still kind of getting get, not getting across with it but it's still in a fairly recent rotation I like the Spinning Coin album a lot Parable uh, yep. they're the first signs to uh, the Pastels own imprint mm -hmm. uh, as a kind of subsidiary of Domino Records and it's it's pretty much what you'd expect from a from a Pastels <laughs> from a Pastels sign and they, they sound quite like the Pastels uh, but they do very well uh, it's, it's a really it's a really charming record and what's uh, the name of the actual record? Uh, Spinning Coin uh -huh. is oh is the band oh, Paramo is the name of the record yeah. um, I think I saw them open for I, I definitely saw them in Mono earlier in the year and I can't remember if they were opening for Beach Slang or Francois and the Atlas Mountains but it was one of them one okay. of the two because they're both, I, I know they're like two gigs that I saw in Mono this year <laughs> I can't remember which one of them had Spinning Coin but yeah they're, they're very good and worth checking out um, I like the Babe album a lot as well, just talking about Francois and the Atlas Mountains, because uh, there's some crossover there. Um, is uh, the kind of latest project of Jedder Black, who uh, used to play keyboards for Francois and the Atlas Mountains and was in Findle Gask as well oh, yeah. about 10 years ago. Yes. Uh, and uh, all, uh, I, I don't know what you call it, it's an R&B project. Um, it's very like heavily influenced by kind of like 90s R&B, you know, and uh, or to kind of turn the century R&B. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just nice to hear that, and because the kind of thing you'd maybe more associate with like, I don't know, like American bands like Dirty Projectors or something like that. Uh, and it's nice to hear a little bit of that, um, you know, done by done by a Scottish act, although a fairly international Scottish act, because he does also have like, um, like one of the guys who used to be in, one of the French guys who used to be in France. One of is in the band, John Bailey Jr., who drums with Bossy Love, plays mm -hmm. drums with him as well. So it's a kind of conglomeration of almost a super group. Um, but yeah, uh, there's very and you know influences as I say from like R and B and kind of like nineties kind of dance culture and stuff as well. So there's a, a whole lot going on. In it. But uh, yeah, it's very uh, album's called Kiss and Tell. It's very much worth worth checking out. There's a few bands I want to mention who released singles this year 
and hopefully are going to, I know at least one of them is releasing an album next year, who are just fantastic. Um, L Space, who um, sound like they should be soundtracking, you know, if there's a Blade Runner 3, they're at the front to kind of do the music for that. Um, saw them live as well. Uh, to get, it's difficult often to get a really highly produced electronic sound and do it live, but they managed to do it brilliantly. Um, another band, um, Half Form Things, I really fell in love with. Um, they only released a couple of things. I went through to um, Edinburgh to see them play the Voodoo Rooms, and as we know, it takes a lot to get me out <laughs> this city to go and see it somewhere else. Um, but it was a great gig, and they're a fantastic um, band, Half Form Things. Um, out of the Swim are another one. Um, I think Canadian Falkirk um, a marriage there. Uh, again, you can hear the influences of both, which is interesting. And hardly um, new, but uh, Monica Queen and Johnny Smiley are now again working together as Tenement and Temple. And they've got the first single out where the wild roses grow and there's going to be an album to follow that up. Um, and, you know, I think Monica Queen is perhaps the greatest singer that's about at the moment in terms of Scottish singer. Uh, so I saw them play just last week and it was amazing to see them play. I, have you got any tips coming up for the that you can uh, are you going to name no, your own? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, it's alright if you haven't. I'm not entirely sure actually. Um, as I was, as what's I was happening? Thinking, I guess okay. What's happening then with Campfires and Michael well, and all? Michael has Michael's been working on an album for a while. To be honest, um, Michael Cassidy. Yeah, say. sorry, yeah, Michael Cassidy's been working on his album for quite a while. Um, and it's all a kind of DIY project at the moment, so he's kind of just taking his time with it. Right. And uh, Campfires, Bob is pissed off to New York for three months, so he's uh, he's coming back in December, and um, I'll be cracking a whip and making. No, I'm kidding. I'll be <laughs> I'll let him let him ease into what they're doing. As I said, there'll probably be another video coming and some sort of show early next year. But yeah, in terms of tips next year, um, as we were kind of chatting about, kind of just off mic, if you like, before we started this, and um, I feel like I've kind of slipped out of being aware of a lot of the kind of Scottish stuff that's coming out other than stuff that I'm already interested mm -hmm. in like a lot of the names you mentioned there I'm completely completely new to me mm -hmm. um, and I'm looking forward to checking yeah them, you should honest. definitely I think yeah. you'll really enjoy them um, have you seen anyone in the last year yeah there's gone? a few that um, haven't necessarily released albums yet but I'd be looking forward to hearing more from I like Savage Mansion a lot which is the latest project of Craig Angus who used to be Poor Things oh, yeah. um, again it's that kind of sound as I mentioned earlier is quite in just now particularly in Glasgow which is that kind of 90s American indie sound so I think I remember seeing Weezer played Glasgow a couple of months ago and I remember being shocked to look at to realise that tickets for it were like 40 quid or something it's like <laughs> you, you don't have to spend 40 quid to see Weezer in 2017 you can literally like spend a fiver take a chance on any band in Glasgow for a fiver <laughs> and a chance starts that they'll be doing Weezer better than Weezer are currently doing Weezer um, so yes I think Savage Mansion are definitely 40 pound 40 pound for Weezer yeah um so Savage Mansion definitely in that kind of lineage I would say saw them on a bill with uh, American Clay at Tuts actually uh, over, over the summer uh, which was kind of an ideal pairing uh, they, they played off each other really well um, yeah a lot of fun uh, I really like uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it because I've only ever seen it written down Lilo Lilo L-Y-L-O so mm -hmm. I'm open for Babe uh, the old hairdressers uh, Babe's album launch early in the year as well they're also very much worth checking out in terms of like kind of woozy kind of almost blue eyed soul kind of stuff there's, a, there's a sax in play there's um, a few kind of 
you know, more yacht rocky sounds, maybe but a little bit more up tempo than that might you might expect from that. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, those are two that I'm looking forward to hearing more from. I just remembered. I also saw um, a, a duo called the Step Brothers. Um, I don't know where they are or not, but it was. They're from Steps. That's where they're called, the Step Brothers, right? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one. yeah, yeah. And uh, they're like kind of Everly Brothers, Simon Garfunkel harmonies, and and they're they're. I'm really looking forward to kind of what they do next. Um, really interesting and quite different. You know, you were saying how often there's musical um, themes which appear every now and again that you seem to go into any club or bar and that's what's playing. But they, they were really different. Very smart as well. So it always, it always impresses me. Um, well, let's go on to a gigs. Of the so let's talk a little bit about gigs. Um, okay. Okay, oh no, yeah, were you okay. not expecting that? No, were you no, expecting? No, uh, yeah, no, was yeah, that a curveball? Okay, yeah, no, no, let's not talk about gigs. Frantically scrolling at the bottom of the list. <laughs> Sorry, man, let's, let's talk about No, 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 I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready now, yeah. Okay. Um, so gigs, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think, um, I don't even know what gig of the year for me would have been, um, in terms of, like, you've seen some, some pretty special stuff. Actually, do you know what, I do know what probably my gig of the year was, and it was, um, at the Barras, uh, it was probably the Flaming Lips at the Barras. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Happy Meals opening, wow. uh, which was a well matched pair. I'd kind of fallen out of love with the Flaming Lips a little bit over the last few years. They're one of my favourite bands when I was a teenager. What do you think um, of the new album? I like it. Yeah. Uh, but again, like, listen to it in and of itself, I almost kind of felt more obligation to go see the Flaming Lips because <laughs> they were playing the Barras, and it's like, I can't pass up a chance, no matter how yeah. kind of patchy their output's been over the last few years, I can't pass up a chance to see the Flaming Lips in the Barras. And it's one of those nights where it just completely rekindles your love of a band. Like, it was absolutely just, it's everything that they do well. You know, it's the total showmanship. The, they start, they always start with the Race for the Prize, and there's the confetti cannons and the lights splashing, balloons dropping and stuff, and it's just a big, total, like, you're, you're like a kid again. Did they still up, get? folk up on stage and do all that they didn't get folk up on stage Wayne Coyne still gets in the hamster ball and rolls out over the crowd which this time they did they saved that for the middle of the set this time I hadn't seen them in about 7 years 7 or 8 years maybe and they used to do that at the start of the set you know they'd get Wayne would go out in the hamster ball and then he'd go back up on stage and then they'd do race for the prize confetti would go off lights and everything so this time they saved it to the middle of the set and uh, he sang Space Oddity uh, and then got into the ball and while well, the rest of the band were still playing it went out uh, onto the I'm, I'm miming here for the benefit yeah I should the say, yeah. You can see it's, it's as if he's in a, yeah. a hamster ball yeah. 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 Um, but yeah I think played to played to the crowd largely stuck to the kind of soft bullet and Yushimi uh, War of the Mystics era um, nothing from like the, the albums between uh, War with the Mystics and uh, Oxy Melody which came out this year nothing from Embryonic nothing from the Terror you know so nothing from the various side projects that they've had with Miley Cyrus and, and everything over the years it just stuck to you know kind of played the hits as it were and, and did it great and uh, seeing Happy Meals was, was great day. as well because they were terrific I'd never actually seen them live before and like I've talked about them in the podcast before I think they're brilliant on record um, and yeah and they worked like, in the barras because that's a big venue the barras, yeah really great show as well like good decent light show and everything and really fit the kind of the the I'd say there's probably a kinship there with Flame Lips as well yeah. um, in terms of like their kind of more psychedelic qualities that was great and another Barris gig as well the LCD Sound System reunion tour oh, yeah. rolled into the Barris this year it's always a very special special <laughs> occasion when LCD Sound System pitch up are you bars. suggesting he's a bit like Frank Sinatra yeah, he's going out for yeah, one more exactly, yeah. farewell uh, tour but uh, yeah I mean like it's, it's almost it's such a terrible just describe it as a reunion tour because they did put out a new very good record this mm. year as well 
Um, it's an excellent record to write. Uh, which has allayed a lot of my fears because, you know, it's that way when one of your favourite bands goes out in a big style, you know, big style, like, with a big send-off at Madison Square Garden and a commemorative documentary and concert film and the whole whack and everything, you're like, okay, that's great, you ended it, you had a perfect run, you made three great albums, you didn't embarrass yourselves, let's just leave it there, let's just have a perfect career. And then five years later, they're like, actually, <laughs> we're back. And, you're, you know, there's that apprehension of, like, oh, no, this is going to be, what if it's shit? What if they, like, completely fuck up their legacy here? What if it's just... What if they ruin it, you know? And thankfully, they didn't. Um, so I believe mean, fans of Shed Seven are thinking that very thing. <laughs> oh, absolutely! You know, it's the, the perennial <laughs> concern uh, of any Shed Seven fan. But um, yeah, no, it, it was great, um, really, really great. And uh, they are coming back next year, but uh, it's quite pricey. So I don't know if I'll be doing if I'll be doing round two with LCD Sound System quite yet. But uh, yeah, it's great. But I, I mean, I don't want to just talk about reunion tours and stuff. But Arab Strap at Kelvin Grove Bandstand as well. Honey oh. Blood opening was a very, very memorable, memorable show. Um, just looking further down the list here. Saw the Magnetic Fields at the Edinburgh Festival. Oh. Uh, went through for they did uh, their latest album, Fifty Song Memoir, which is as the title suggests. He's quite good with lyrical titles, Stephen Merritt. Um, it's fifty songs. It is. Uh, so it's a, yeah, it's, a, it's a long album. It's on five CDs, I believe. Um, and they played the entirety of it over two nights. So the first night was the first twenty-five songs. Second night was the second twenty-five. Good songs. to Mary's commitment. Absolutely, had a stage set around them and stuff. It was like kind of a a recreated kind of living room kind of set almost or a house that he had around with kind of mementos and trinkets from throughout his life um, and there was narration between the songs and all this kind of stuff so it was almost like a one man show that just also happened to have a band around him um, but yeah really um, I'm glad to have seen I mean and it was just that album there wasn't any crowd pleasing encore performance of the Book of Love or anything like that mm-hmm. or you know I don't want to get over you it was literally just the 50 songs that can pre like just just the, like, 50. just the 50 songs that make up the album uh, but yeah um, so that, that was really cool um, and yeah I'm just trying to think of like other kind of smaller stuff um, Sheer Mag at Mono was excellent um, I don't know do, do you know Sheer Mag? No. they're kind of American kind of punk band but kind of heavily influenced by like 70s classic rock and like Thin Lizzy and stuff like that and, uh-huh. uh, with a a female singer and uh, they're kind of feminist and lefty but at the same time sound like they're playing the boys are back in town so it's mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty fun along kind of similar lines downtown boys stereo who are kind of a um, again feminist lefty punk band uh, with a, a, a Latina, uh, Latinx extraction and just really uh, yeah put on a really cool energetic show and it feels like the kind of thing is quite necessary just now in political in a political sense, you know, to just kind of reaffirm. I've just put the length of his list, Wesley. We could be here for some time. It's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to go through all of it. Um, I'm just trying to scroll through some of the some of the other other highlights. Uh, Craftwork. So Craftwork. Oh here. wow! Yeah. I always make time for Craftwork. Oh, exactly. Uh, which I mean, you know, there's, you could debate how much of it is actually um, live. You know, because yeah. it is just you know. And how much they're actually doing, or if it's just the kind of shock and awe of the light show. I mean, they handed out 3D glasses as you come in and stuff. It's it is them, it's not. It's, oh, well, yeah, it's, it's, not it's, Ralph, it's Ralph Hutter. Yes. And that's about It's Ralph Hutter plus three. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, I thought it was maybe some kind of X yeah. Machina thing. Exactly. Just... Well, you know, you, you know, don't, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> at some point, yeah, they'll, that, they, they'll be on. That's like instead of a hologram, they'll just have. And they did bring out animatronics at the, uh, the, the Encore, you're right, they did bring out robots. Uh, for one song of the encore, and I think they all the from Scissor Sisters. Yeah, no, 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 yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, they brought animatronics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all, yeah, 
<laughs> they duetted a Kraftwerk remix of Take Your Mama. Um, but I will, uh, one last show actually for live stuff this year. I don't know if we mentioned it last year at all, but the start to end nights that originated at the Hugging Pine. Um, there had only been, I think, one of them uh, mm-hmm. this, uh, when we recorded last year, so we might not have mentioned it. But basically, they're uh, put on by two of the guys from Prana Mama, Martin who Drums and Craig, who's a Mali instrumentalist, and Joe Rattray, who's the bassist for Admiral Fallow. And they uh, kind of came up with this idea of having a series of nights where they would, they and other guest musicians would perform classic albums in full. Yeah. Um, so they started off last November within Rainbows by Radiohead, and uh-huh. like a bit of ambition to kind of set the bar, and they kind of more or less lived up to that. Since then, since then they've done um, in they the did airplane. Daft Punk, they, didn't yeah, they? they did Discovery, Discovery by Daft Punk. They did in the airplane over the sea by Neutral Milk Hotel. They did Loveless by My Bloody Valentine. The Reminder by Feist. Grace by Jeff Buckley. It's a real um, yeah, the most, mix. the most recent one I've seen. I know they, they did um, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac up in Aberdeen as part of the True North Festival, I think. Um, and they're doing a couple uh, Celtic Connections in January as well. They're doing uh, Solid Air by John Martin and Corey Spark. At the Cafe, I think. No, at uh, Oramore. Oh, are they? Yeah. Okay. There's some John and, Martin night at the club. And uh, Court and Spark by Johnny Mitchell are both part of Celtic Fantastic. Connections. But the most recent one I saw them do was uh, Black Star by Bowie, uh, which they did. I think was the initial spark of the idea after Bowie died. They did a night in block where yeah. they covered the album in full as a kind of tribute to him, and then that was kind of the the origin of the wider night. So this was almost like a repeat performance of that. Now they kind of built up a bit more of an audience, and uh, yeah, it was tremendous. Um, they, they've all been great. Like the thing is, like you go along, and you're like, is this just going to be like a bad tribute night? But it's not. Something something's slightly different about it because it's not. They're not concerned about getting the details exactly right. They get the spirit of the thing right. I think you mm-hmm. know, so it's not necessarily getting vocalists who sound exactly like the singers do on record, or making sure that they hit every single note as it's played on record. But it's a group of fans playing to a group of fans. You know, I think that's what pushes it over. Everybody in the room knows every word to every song, and like it's done with a spirit of love, and it's that enthusiasm I think that carries it over and really sells it because everyone has been absolutely. Fantastic. So it's not the counterfeit clash or Pete yeah. Wolf, which is always yeah. my favourite name of a. Yeah, no, nobody's dressing up. <laughs> yeah, you know, nobody's nobody's chucking on like Jeff Mangum's hat or anything like that. You know, nothing's like dressed as Jody Mitchell. Exactly. Yeah, um, wearing Kevin Shields like baggy jeans or whatever. Um, so it's uh, yeah, no, they're heartily recommended if you can catch catch one of them. Where's like gigs for you for the year? Yeah, I mean. Um, Touched on LCD at the Barras, obviously it was was a phenomenal show. I think that was I'm pretty sure that was between the period of where I saw LCD. Sigur Ross played a couple of days after, and I seen the National at the Usher Hall the night after, uh-huh. which I will discuss later. Okay. Oh, yeah. interesting. I'd love to want to keep the listeners. You know, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No big shit, but <laughs> um, but yeah, so quite a kind of weird run of gigs. It was like phenomenal artists, so saw LCD, National, Seeger Boss, and then I think within a, a few days or a week, saw my top gig of the year, which was Nick Cave at the Hydro, uh-huh. um, which I was like, Nick Cave at the Hydro, yeah. how dare you play the Hydro, I'm not going to go to this, this is this is obscene, and then the more, the more I thought about it, it's even more concerned when the album came out, and it's one of his most intimate albums mm-hmm. that he's recorded in terms of, of subject, and kind of the sound of the album, and I was like, how is this going to work, and in the hydro and then when the tour started he watched a couple of videos and I'm watching it and I'm thinking and I'm thinking back to the first time I ever saw that cave in the Bad Seeds at Tina Park of all places in 2009 mm-hmm. I would say 8-9 
um, headlining the NME stage to a thousand people while everyone else was watching Kings of Leon and mm-hmm. The View and Crystal Castles and how utterly phenomenal the show yeah, was yeah, yeah, and like yeah. completely transcended any experience I've ever had at a gig ever um, and that was outdoors in a field so I was like yeah. of course it's going to work now Joe. and then you forget that actually Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds even though their music might not sound on record their entire show is made to be seen in the biggest venue possible well it is recently yeah it they've is. been doing it absolutely exactly yeah. and it's like you, you kind of forget that because you're so used and spoiled by them coming over and going yeah I'm going to play the Baddest I'm going to do an intimate piano show in the concert hall with the 2,000 people mm-hmm. and you're just expecting that and that's what you come to expect of them so still a little bit of apprehension going along to see it at the Hydro and my god did they absolutely own the entire venue it was phenomenal from start to finish and he managed to make it feel like I was in the bars again it was yeah that's amazing because the Hydro is a huge venue and I think the way you did it really was to get everyone up on stage at the end which is kind of a little bit of a kind of kind of been there done that everybody does it you know she do it all the time and all that kind of thing and you don't expect Nick Cave to do it but I think he said in an interview that that was his way of sort of rewarding his fans for getting them through a really difficult period mm-hmm. obviously for anyone who doesn't know I'd imagine you do that um, obviously his, his son tragically died um, very recently and um, yeah it was amazing and the way he came into the crowd and used the space in the crowd and obviously used the crowd to elevate him in the air and I mean it's like it's like he is everybody's messiah, if you like. Yeah. It's literally like watching this room full of people just in complete awe of a guy at work. And don't forget his band, who are incredible. incredible. I mean, I do it myself and get away with dropping the bad seeds, but the bad mm-hmm. seeds are a very important part of, of that music and of the live show. But that was phenomenal for me. Um, did you go to that show? I was there too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, great. I missed the Celtic game for it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Um, no I've, higher praise I've forced a wee one in Europe for quite some time and I'm at Nick Cave in the bad season picked, definitely picked the right picked the right thing to do but um, I finally got to see a, I think my number one album that I discussed last year was uh, it was a Suarez album mm-hmm. if anyone yes, I remember doesn't that. remember or didn't listen to last year's is a Brazilian samba singer who's been kicking about for years she's in her mid 70s at the very least I think and um, it's kind of had a really really torrid tough life and it's kind of channeled that into her music as a lot of artists do whether it's a good thing or a bad thing but um, she brought out an amazing album last year that I just no clue about that I just absolutely fell in love with and I got to see her um, she was playing Primavera which I went to this year and I'll touch on that maybe a little bit but that's not where I got to see her. I managed to see her in New York of all places and I could not believe my luck when it happened to be that she was playing the town hall during the five days that I was there. And I went along, I went along myself um, and I was in a room full of this beautiful little venue like just right off Times Square, around the corner from mm-hmm. Times Square um, and smallish kind of theatre venue. I think it's maybe just two, one tier above the, above the stall venue the uh, sorry the stalls area and it wasn't even full but 80 to 90 percent of the, the audience were um portuguese brazilian mm-hmm. um i felt could never felt more out of place in my entire life this big tall lanky white skinny <laughs> scottish guy at this gig and um it was astonishing it was just the perfect place to see her and she was incredible she's her, her stage show is phenomenal as well she's not got the the energy and she's not fit enough to move about the stage so she sits in a, a massive throne that is designed to look like her dress is covering the whole throne wow. and um, 
like she's got a da- uh, she's got a dancer that comes out during one song that kind of climbs the throne looking at her as if she's like this goddess that um, which she is ultimately. Mm-hmm. And there was an amazing point in the show where she was um, she brought all of these kind of dancers out, these male topless dancers out who just kind of stood and stared at her like that, like kind of I'm kind of doing this with the podcast, <laughs> but kind of with her arms out, looking towards her, pointing towards her, completely static and motionless, or with the light just shined on top of them. And there was this kind of blue light that shimmered across the stage. And then she sung this kind of traditional um, Brazilian um, political song that mm-hmm. I didn't really know about until I kind of left. And there was a lot of kind of protests going on because of the politics that's happening over, over there just now with the government. And um, it was, I was like, I can't believe I'm witnessing this. It was, it was remarkable. Um, so those were my two best gigs. Um, other than that, Sigur Ross at the Armadillo was fantastic. Been a fan of them for ages. Mm-hmm. Never really got the chance to see them until now. I've missed them so many times and it was it was spectacular. Um, I'm glad I was seating for it as well. It was all seating, but yeah. it kind of feels like the gig that you need to sit down because it's just so overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and slow dive. Art oh school, yeah, art school. And I ABC. missed that. Yeah. That that ABC show, I thought it's not going to top the art school. I was like, I got to see slow dive in the art yeah, school. That's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Going to the ABC and just right. blew it out of the water. It was incredible. Um, and then destroyed my eardrums at Sim <laughs> at SWG three as well, which was a an interesting experience. Um, that was I've never for anyone who's not familiar with Sun that um, a band had come out dressed in cloaks and just play incredibly loud drone music that even with your earplugs in with the highest setting the highest filter still completely shakes your entire yeah. body and my my nose was vibrating and my cheeks were sore from the vibrations of the the noise and it was a uh, it was unbelievable and the only time I've ever felt anything like that was Sonic Youth. Ah, so, I, yeah. <laughs> so I can understand it there. It's uh, incredible, and in SWG three as well. It yeah. moved up from St Luke's, which would have been a beautiful venue for it. Because you can just imagine they they filled the room with smoke. Shattered the windows in St Luke's. Yeah, exactly. It's very specific though. Like they filled the venue with smoke, and you can imagine like they play a lot of churches because it kind of fits with their aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's very much about the experience as opposed to the music. Although a lot of kind of drone metal fans will, I suppose. Um, argue the point on that which is fair enough but um, yeah seeing it in SWG3 when you go in and it's already dark and it's already an anxious venue is, is something else entirely um, and then a gig I kind of forgot about actually was Anna Meredith at the CCA because it was so early on in the year that's which what I've got leave written for, down for Ali to, to <laughs> I thought it was important to mention um, the Six Music Festival actually right yes because like I mean some of the lineups were a bit mixed and it was one of those ones that I would love to have dipped in and out of different venues mm-hmm. to see different artists but the importance of having that kind of a festival it's a very good point. was remarkable and the atmosphere around the city was second to none I mean going from seeing field music in King Tut's standing next to Tom Robinson just bopping his head along to, to this remarkable small band that are kind of up and coming and in a perfect venue for it with Steve Lamatt recording his radio show just around the corner and um, like half an hour before it to going to the Barrowlands the, one of the best venues mm-hmm. of all time and seeing the likes of Thundercat and Songhoi Blues were a new discovery for me and um, Warpaint, Ride, Royal Carnor, nipping across to see Car City Headdress and St. Luke's, and it was just an amazing atmosphere. It was to, fantastic to, to, to have that. The, the, use, the use of the tramway as well for the kind mm. of daytime events was, was great. Yeah, absolutely. Did you make the most uh, of Pronto Mama at, the, at King Tut's for the BBC introducing stage, which mm. was Tom Robinson and Vic Galloway kind of introduced the ice, so it was Pronto Mama, uh, St. Martin's, uh, J.R. Green, and 
and I can't remember the fourth, but it was like a four band. Yeah, four but band it was just such a lot of great music. Yeah. Um, uh, you're right, it was difficult because you were kind of pulled here, there and everywhere, but... Yeah, I saw Bella Sebastian and Whitney and Julia Jacqueline at the Academy um, on the, the closing night. Um, but yeah, those were my two, two Sex Music Fest experiences. Um, so my gigs of the year, the first one I was going to mention is Anna Meredith at the CCA. Um, and we've spoken about um, her before, but wow, what a show. I mean, it was just astonishing in one of the smaller rooms at the CCA. Uh I mean, it wasn't loud, but it blew you away. Um, and what a band she's got. Um, managed to get the, the, if anything, better than the album. That's what I thought. If anything, the, the, the live experience was better than, than the record and the varmints. And they, yeah, uh, ever since that, and if I ever get a chance to see Anna Meredith, I will jump at it because she's just uh, astonishing um, a live. Um, I've already mentioned Half Four Things, but that gig at the Voodoo Rooms, small room, but um, again, really loud. It was one of the first time in a long time where I've had ringing the next day in the years going, oh, really? <laughs> but it was all worth it. And they, as I've said about Half Four Things, they're really um, someone to look out for next year. Slightly, I mean, again, this is going back to the idea of nostalgia, but this was a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And it was the Skids at the Academy. <laughs> and I went with my brother, a big Skids fan um, from back in the day. Uh, it was just to see a band so delighted to be there because the, the Skids decided to reform and they were going to do, I think, like a couple of gigs in Dunfermline and Fife and Bubs and that was going to be it. And then it kind of grew legs from there and folk were saying, no, you're not going to put a gig on here, there. They ended up doing a, a world tour, I think. And they sold out um, the Academy uh, in Glasgow. Um, and Richard Johnson came out and it was like a prize winner it was like someone had gone yeah you've won the he was punching the air and he was laughing and it was just, and, and the whole crowd of middle-aged men just sang and cried and oh it was uh, it was I mean these things can often be overdone obviously there's a big market in it because you know look at the bands that are like as you say Weezer coming back if they're nostalgia then you know it's an odd thing but yeah, it was. It was a good, it, There's a lot to be said for it, and actually, with that in mind, Hipsway are doing three sold out nights at the Academy. Hipsway, oh. <laughs> I mean, it's well, it just astonishes me. But there you go. Um, another great night uh, again in Edinburgh when I went to see the launch of Stephen McLaren's album on Ernt Media, supported by Ernt Boy, who are one of my favourite bands. Also, in between the two acts was Brave Little Note and um, Jacqueline, oh, I can't remember her second name. Never heard her music before, never seen it before. She's a classically trained. Um, what a sound. It was her and um, she was accompanied by someone else. Um, and you can go to her SoundCloud page and listen to her music. Uh, it's it's kind of like nothing you'll have heard. I don't think, I'm trying to think. There's a bit of St. Vincent and Bjork, um, but very much individual, so I'd definitely check her out. If you ever get the chance, if you see the name, Brave Little Note on a poster, or a, then go for it. Um, Modern Studies and Loman Campbell at the Edinburgh Festival played a church down in Stockbridge. Um, and... I mentioned their albums last year, I think, I think the best albums of 2016. 
and I think they're both getting re released on other labels. I think they've kind of hit a wider um, audience, but they were fantastic together. Um, they covered each other's songs. There was just a real sense of playfulness in this beautiful church. Um, the acoustics were amazing, and yeah, that was a great gig. And um, the final one I'm going to mention is Starless. I Celtic Connections last year. This is Paul McGeekin's project. And Paul McGeekin was in Love and Money back in the day. And he's used his connections well because the album, again, I think I mentioned it last year, features um, Julie Fowlis, uh, Mary Claire White, Karen Matheson, Chris Thompson from The Bathers. Um, the album's got Paul Buchanan from The Blue Nile on it. Unfortunately, he didn't play the Mitchell uh, Library gig. Fingers were crossed. But Graham Skinner from Hootsuit did in his place. Um, and yeah, it was a, it's a great record, and to hear all these different singers collaborate with them was a was a great uh, a great night. Um, what I would like to now this is a bit self indulgent, but I'm going to do it anyway. My uh, my brother owns the Braemar Gallery up north, and he started putting gigs on this year. And some of my favourite nights were the gigs um, up at the gallery, including uh, Sister Rose, Mark W. Georgeson who played with um, Barry James O'Neill, who was in Cassidy, and I didn't really know Barry's stuff. He supported Mark up there, and what a night that was. There was I don't think he played for a while. Um, and you could tell that, you know, there was a bit of apprehension, but once, particularly once he got behind the keyboard and he played in this voice and the songs, it was quite an emotional night. It was a real, the small gigs, I should say, you can only get about 40 people in the gallery. It's a great place to see music if you manage it. And um, he put on other, he had Jeffrey Lewis, bizarrely, um, played there. And um, Alistair Roberts is going to play there next, this week on Friday. Um, but yeah, so I'm just, that's absolutely a plug for my family <laughs> and their gallery. But they are great nights, it's a great place to see music. I'm aware of, um, we're trying to keep this in a manageable um, time. If we talk about albums of the year without going into them too much, is that a possibility? Sure. Say yeah, five, say five. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> what are you looking for? Fifty? Uh, I don't know. I don't even have a set number in mind. But yeah, no, well, thanks. Um, just before we leave gigs entirely, that room, the small room chat reminded me of. Uh, I also saw a gig in LP Records, the record shop. We were talking yeah. about the label earlier. They hosted Craig Finn, frontman of the Hold Steady, yeah, earlier right. in the year for about thirty people. So uh, Craig Finn was doing a what he called a living room tour, where basically did you, you not put a stain on it? Yeah, 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 it's finally lifted out. Put on my moustache and you know like, my Groucho glasses and, and got in. But um, no, they uh, so Craig Finn was doing a living room tour where basically you could bid to have him come to your city and perform in your house. Wow. And uh, Lorenzo put the bid in for Glasgow, or won the bid for Glasgow, so Craig Finn played in the shop for about 30 people. And it was just him with a, an acoustic guitar, and he did mostly solo stuff, because he put out a very good solo record mm-hmm. this year. Uh, probably the best thing he's done in about eight, nine years at this point. Uh, and then, like, but did finish with a whole steady song, and yeah, it was it was amazing. Just told stories in between the songs and everything. It was just it was it was an amazing night. Small and intimate is the way to go, definitely. Apart, it's less than Nick Cave, obviously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but albums of the year, um, I mean, there's there's a lot of really great, you know, new stuff coming through, and a lot of really great, um, like more experimental and forward thinking stuff. But honestly, the album I probably listened to most this year and I had the most fun with this year was uh, Six Scenes by Los Campesinos. 
They've been oh, kicking yeah. about for a while, you know. I think it's yes. album six, I believe, six or seven, maybe thereabouts. And I'd honestly never really given them that much time before mm-hmm. I had uh, their their last album, uh, No Blues, which was a birthday present a few years ago, and I liked it, but again, not to the point where I considered them. It wasn't like in my top five or anything for the year. Um, but yeah, something about six scenes just really grabbed me. Um, I get just I don't know, it was just one of those albums, right time, right place kind of thing to hear an album. I think it's just a really great indie pop rock record you know just just enough emo <laughs> just emo enough I think is how I put it and really like wittily written and performed and uh, yeah no it really kind of ultimately quite quite life affirming and uh, really really loved that other than that it's probably just, just a lot of hip hop my albums this year as, as usual you know the usual suspects like Kendrick uh, Kendrick Lamar put another very very good album this year um, I'll probably more low key than I think people were probably expecting. I mean, there's only really one way you could go after it to pimp a butterfly, which is this like sprawling magnum opus that kind of mm-hmm. defined a certain kind of you know mood, a certain kind of vibe in the in the air. Circa like 2015 um, is really this kind of like defining cultural moment. And when you suddenly have that burden placed on you of being like, you know, the saviour of modern music is like, well, what else can you do but try and downscale appropriately and kind of pull back. Or you can be like Kanye and go nuts. Yeah, yeah. Well, that too. But um, <laughs> there's still time. This is, only, this is only like, you know, he's still relatively early in his career. But uh, yeah, Damn is very good. Uh, Damn is the name of the record, all caps with a full stop at the end. Um and yeah, it, I get it has its kind of grandstanding moments. It's got like DNA and humble, but uh, a lot of it's a lot more kind of low key than I think people were maybe expecting. There is uh, a, a surprise U two collaboration mm-hmm. on, on one track, which works. Which works. It does work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, along similar lines, uh, the Vince Staples album this year, Big Fish Theory, mm-hmm. excellent. Uh, again, uh, Kendrick puts in an unexpected guest appearance on that. Uh, when the album dropped, it didn't have any featuring credits or anything on it so you just go through and then you know as you're listening all of a sudden Kendrick appears and that was a very kind of oh like simple <laughs> upright kind of moment it's like ah oh, Kendrick's on a Vince Staples track this is amazing but um, yeah great um, a lot more kind of I don't want to say experimental but it's a lot the back in the, the kind of the beats are a lot more dancey a lot more electronic than you'd maybe expect from a lot of contemporary hip hop like it feels like it's maybe taking its cues from not to invoke Kanye too much but maybe taking its cues from Fade uh, mm-hmm. the end of the life of Pablo a lot more kind of like not even club oriented but just kind of more kind of it, it plays a bit with electronic textures in a more interesting way than you necessarily expect from a lot of from a lot of, of hip hop um, Jay-Z's album this year uh, 444 is the best thing he's done since he retired um, I, I mean if this is I don't know if people even remember at this point but for a year or so in the mid 2000s Jay-Z was technically retired after he put out <laughs> the Black album um, he said that was it he was done and since then I pretty much wished that he had ended it that way because it felt like he had an LCD that is partly why I was so apprehensive about LCD sound system coming back because Jay-Z fucked it so royally when he came back <laughs> um, he had this like Amazing run from nine, uh, like the mid nineties through to early two thousands, capped off with the black album, brilliant album, run of shows to say goodbye and retire, and that was it. And then a couple of years later, he came back and just made a string of really mediocre albums, uh, notwithstanding uh, Watch the Throne, uh, collaboration with Kanye. Um, but four forty four was the uh, the last album in the what's coming to be known as the Elevator trilogy, mm-hmm. which is the the string of albums that has resulted from the uh, t- kind of paparazzi tabloidy incident where uh, Solange Knowles so, yeah. uh, belted Jay-Z in an elevator and it was caught on security security footage 
Um, so you had, of course, Beyonce's Lemonade, uh, Solange's A Seat at the Table, and now Jay-Z's 444, and they all deal to varying degrees with uh, with broadly similar themes, be it like, you know, like the, like their own kind of personal lives or whatever, and kind of the nature, like infidelity, like Jay-Z cheating on Beyonce, and the kind of repercussions that kind of came from that. But also, I think, like, that kind of tabloid drama kind of has tended to overshadow in all, all, all the cases, like, with Lemonade as well, kind of broader themes about, like, you know, empowerment and kind of, like, the political moment and, um, you know, identity and, and a lot of this kind of thing going on. And, um, yeah, there, again, there's some stuff on... 444 that is, is kind of bracing to hear on a Jay-Z album meme that is just admissions of failure which is not something you ever really expect to hear from Jay-Z um, there's a track about him kind of not coming not even coming to terms with just appreciative uh, by uh, discovering that his mother was gay and like coming to terms with that and uh, and kind of the implications of that and you know all, all this kind of thing and um, yeah it's, it's really the strongest thing that he's done in a, in a long long time um, so yeah very much in favour of that um, and it's too soon to I think it's far too soon to really say where it places um, in kind of any year end rankings because we're six days out from his release but Bjork put out an album this year mm-hmm. which is always a, a massive always a massive deal yeah. um, Utopia which is her uh, which she's described as her Tinder record following <laughs> her uh, divorce record which is what Bill Nakura was which was um, you know a, a kind of bracing listen in places yes. and kind of the, the, the depths it plunged but uh, yeah so it's, it's still very early going as with most Bjork albums is a pretty challenging listening at times you know it's kind of like it takes a bit of work to get a, a handle on, on quite what she's doing because she is so far ahead of everyone else still after after 20-30 years of doing this um, but yeah it's, it's very much um, obviously worth your time and getting kind of hold of a copy there are obviously like dozens more records I could talk about but I will uh, see, see the floor we've all got uh, home to go yeah, to yeah, eventually yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's melodrama by Lord. Sorry, that was the one I wanted to show it for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, Chris, that's a few there. Uh, Kendrick Lamar and Vince Staples for me is as this always seems to happen. The past few years, especially, hip hop's been been a really, really high standard as has R and B, and Chris and I always end up gushing over the same hip hop albums usually. Um, and Kendrick and Vince have been uh, no exception. Like, um, kind of going what what Chris already said. Kendrick sort of really positioned himself away from every other hip-hop artist onto Pimp a Butterfly and he's brought it right back to a sort of like almost mocking sort of sense of mm-hmm. like what's popular right now, trap music, Drake, all that kind of stuff and he's like I'm just going to make an album like that but I'm going to show how much better I am at doing it mm-hmm. than everyone else and it's just this sort of kind of mocking but yet also humble at the same time and mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, it's amazing kind of just all the tropes of that kind of music but still proves to be in an entirely different league and Vince Staples um, can't really add much more to it um, lots of kind of R&B influences on it with the kind of electronic beat over it I mean there's like even like a Hollaback Girl kind of vibe song on there um, it's, it's fantastic um, but for me the, the album that I've not had off all year since it came out is uh, Scissors album Control it's it's incredible I mean it's just a point with R&B at the moment it's just R&B to me is some of the most perfect music Mm-hmm. of all time when it's created in such a, a way that this record is created and um, it just is another example of it um, it's like I was kind of trying to think about how to even put it into words like earlier on and it's just this sort of album of kind of stark emotional contrast like um, and it's all kind of really put together really craftily I mean she sings about kind of quite candidly about kind of deep insecurities and um, relating to kind of love and sex and relationships and growing up was it's a not very popular kind of t- 
teenager, um, yet it oozes a sort of admirable and assured, admirable and kind of assured self confidence that you don't really get with the lyrical content, but you get in the feel of the album itself. And it's just for me, it's just everything that R and B should be. It's just intimate and complex and emotional and honest, and it's just absolutely outstanding. And a really nice companion piece to that is a uh, Kaleela's album, Take Me Apart, which is a real slow burner, but kind of gradually kind of peel away the layers of it. Um, and there's this kind of really luscious R&B at the heart of it and it's like just kind of total medicine for the soul it's it's amazing I mean I really really enjoy both of those releases um, and Scissors number one for me but another album I really enjoyed that I, I wasn't really familiar with before was um, Suzanne Sunfur's album which is called Music for People in Trouble um, basically it's this Norwegian singer-songwriter and um, I basically first heard a song called Good Luck Bad Luck played on Six Music um, during the insufferable Radcliffe and Mathoni, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> we usually fight over in the office to turn off during their <laughs> terrible chat. And um, they, they played a song and initially, for some reason, I didn't really like it, her voice didn't connect with me. I, I can't think for the life of me why it didn't, but straight away I was like, oh, I'm not really enjoying this, I wish another song would maybe come on. And then this sort of Parisian jazz element just kind of came out of nowhere and just really drew me in. It was like kind of walking down this, the cobbled streets of the Seine and like mm-hmm. bypassing the kind of smoky jazz bar and hearing this music coming out and I just went on and checked out on Spotify and um, she just released a new single with John Grant um, which was called Mountaineers and it's kind of it's like the soundtrack to like the Scandi Apocalypse basically it's, right. it's phenomenal and um, I just kind of realised that she'd had a show the following week so I went along to see her at the CCA and it was phenomenal and you don't really pick it up much on the record but it's she sings very much like Rufus Wainwright live okay. um, that sort of reverse harmony kind of melody that he does um, so John Grant, actually, that would be really interesting. Yeah, which is great. And I think she's played it quite a lot with her band um, live uh, back home, but she just played it on her own here. It was, it was excellent. A um, couple other ones, really, not much to go into, but The National, really excellent album. Um, we want to hear The National story yeah, before so we finish. It's not that interesting. It's, just, it's a really <laughs> excellent album, and it's... Um, it is a good record, you've read it, yeah. It's really yeah. visceral and got this kind of pulsating beat going through it that a lot of the National albums don't have, and it, it does become richer and more rewarding with every single listen that I've had so far. Um, and I'm one of those national fans that they could bring out anything and I'm like, oh, it's national, we'll mm-hmm. just continue to do the same thing and I love it. But um, the edge of it, I comfort so ever so slightly and it just really worked for me. Um, but I was just really let down with the live show. They just didn't really reach the same heights that it usually, mm. usually reaches. And I was really, really surprised by it. I was so excited to see it and seen them in Usher Hall before and I love the Usher Hall as a venue and went on to see it live and it just did not work at all it just did not have the con- it was just a disconnect between him and the, the audience and it was just really really strange for me mm. um, I was just really disappointed by it yeah. Yeah. Um, but I've been listening to a lot of interchanging between JSOM and Japanese Breakfast album this year um, we touched on Japanese Breakfast Japanese earlier Breakfast album's amazing it's great it's yeah great. Um, and it's a kind of record I've really grown to appreciate over, mm. over the year um, there's definite ups and downs of it for me but um, the whole is kind of greater than some of its parts as they say um, and it's certainly tremendous live as well and it's a really kind of sits nicely beside Cycle Pump which is a record they brought out last year um, but Jason's album is excellent as well kind of just effortless kind of up and coming artist this, this kind of effortless record that she's brought out um, her name was like a, a product of the Wu-Tang generator um, which was also what gave Childish Gambino his name um, but I'm really excited to see what comes from her and one that kind of came out recently apart from Slow Dive which I must admit I need to touch on how amazing that album mm-hmm. was I mean 22 years away to come back with an yeah. album that remarkable is this was perhaps the most 
unexpected comeback, I think. Definitely. Year. I mean, it it really was like again. I was thinking about how to put that into words as well. And it's like during a time where kind of all these bands are reforming, and and you think they're just kind of doing it for the novelty factor. There's just something else there entirely with slow dive, and it's like either testament its craft to their songwriters, or it's like maybe just like the sheer comfort of being enveloped in that kind of layer of kind of hazy guitars mm. and the sort of like um, falsetto vocals it's kind of all over the record maybe it's just the comfort of being enveloped in that again when it's been away for so long yeah. that just made it such a great record um, but Charlotte Gainsbourg recently that that's a cracking really, record really really yeah, great I mean I absolutely. wasn't really familiar with her musical output oh yeah is a great record as so well so I've now one but um, I mean other than that song obviously mm. with, her, <laughs> with her father which you won't go into um, was was a I was more kind of a fave with a film career to go on yeah. the kind of last one tree stuff um, but and I never realised how extensive her discography actually is but I've barely had it off since it was released the kind of 80s kind of synth stuff that's going through it I mean and for me it's like sounds like John Carpenter in places as well which I'm all over but it's full of all these little imperfections as well and it's not actually a overall perfect album but all those little blemishes and imperfections just make it even more honest and raw and affecting yeah. and, it's, and I love it I've it's not a big it production off. at all it's absolutely yeah. you know maybe yeah. you could imagine it done in two or three takes and said right we've done that one move on definitely um, and I think for me that's that's really it I mean another few albums to kind of give a shout out to obviously War and Drugs brought out a War and Drugs album and I really enjoyed it um, there was Stormzy let's not forgo that because that is a phenomenal album and he gets a lot of comparisons to Skepta, but Stormzy for me, his album from start to finish was a piece of art. It was absolutely fantastic. Proto-Martyr record was great, as was Thundercat. Um, Aldous Harding was a really affecting record that I didn't really realise until after a couple of listens and really, really grabbed me. I really liked Chelsea Wolfe, Phoebe Bridgers, Courtney Mary Andrews. Um, Broken Social Scenes album was really good as well, actually. But yeah, um, again, another really strong year for... Uh, women in music at a time where it's probably needed more now than ever I think because um, Chris will be getting um, annoyed that he wasn't allowed to go into his list no 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 I, just, I wanted to give one but I forgot I mean I don't know if, I don't know if reissues count in terms oh, of uh, in terms one of the things I, I've enjoyed most this year I don't even know if it counts as a reissue because I don't know that many people necessarily heard it the first time around but uh, Alice Coltrane uh, oh yes uh, oh, yeah. uh, Luca Bob David Burns label released a compilation called The Ecstatic Music of Alice Coltrane Turiya Sangitinanda which is uh, she went into uh, in the 80s she went into an ashram um, and kind of devoted herself to to Eastern spirituality, and uh, this is the kind of devotional music that she made while she was in there. It was initially circulated on uh, a few cassettes uh, that came out between the mid eighties and the mid nineties, and uh, it's been reissued now as this compilation by uh, by Luca Bob, and it's absolutely incredible. Like it's just, I mean, she's phenomenal. Anyway. Like uh, I think there's been a real kind of resurgence of interest in Alice Coltrane over the last few years. Has really been notable, like in not just being oh she was John Coltrane's wife, just being the, she was an incredible yes, musician absolutely. in her own right, and like the stuff that she was doing in the seventies was just beyond like so like the major, vast majority of what jazz was doing at that time, just in her reach and her kind of scope and her vision. Um, and the thing about this music is that we're so used to hear, to devotional music coming from. Like Western spirituality, you're so you're so used to being of a Christian nature, whether it's like gospel choirs or like Handel's Messiah or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's you know you have this kind of framework where it's a Christian framework, and so to hear something like that, but with that kind of Eastern influence, it just sounds like nothing else. Because although it's an Eastern, 
this Eastern spirituality that she's singing towards, it's she's still rooted in these kind of Western influences. So she still has the influence of jazz and like gospel choirs and all this kind of other. There's just a lot going on with it, and it sounds like nothing else, and it's absolutely incredible. Like it would sound. It's one of these things. When I say it's like my favorite, one of my favorite albums of the year, I played the the Robert Crisco. Uh, talking about the basement tapes defense mm-hmm. which is like it doesn't matter that it was recorded in 1968 it would be the best album of 1974 it would be the best album of 1998 it would be the best album of whatever year is released because it's just that good and that's kind of how how uh, I feel about the, the Alice Go Train comp that came out this year well a similar jazz tip as well again not to just reel through a list but if you're looking for something that I feel got very little attention uh, a jazz musician called Christian Scott uh, Atunde Adjoa who is a jazz trumpeter um, put out three albums this year, a trilogy, uh, Ruler, Rebel, Diaspora, and The Emancipation Procrastination. And I feel like if he'd put them out all as one release, like Kamasi Washington did mm-hmm. a few years ago, he might have got more attention for it. Um, but he put them out, just kind of staggered them throughout the year. And they're all interconnected and all of a piece, but they're uh, very good, worth seeking out if you like. There's elements of like Terence Blanchard and stuff in there as well. A lot of it sounds like it could be soundtrack, you know, along similar lines as kind of like some of his soundtrack work for Spike Lee. There's also elements of that kind of like LA beat scene and like, you know, put Kamazi Washington, Kendrick, like Flying Lotus, all that kind of stuff. He covers videotape by Radiohead on one of them, and it's one of the best Radiohead covers I've ever heard. So there's a recommendation for you. <laughs> well, we could, I think, probably do this all night and mm-hmm. once this microphone's turned off we may well do that <laughs> or get through the rest of the list um, but we're going to call a halt there so thanks very much for listening thank you to Chris thank you you caught me as I was taking the seat <laughs> thank you to Wesley thank you again thank you to Ian as always cheers and um, we will be back with another um, podcast uh, with the best books of 2017 and um, remember to uh, have a listen to our best films of 2017 as well But until then, thank you for listening and we'll be back soon. Cheers. Mm